Father, you have the power to make the seasons change. The rivers flow for you. And someone said, even the wind whispers your name. So we come this morning asking for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord. For we need to hear from you today. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory. Let all of God's children say amen. 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 Are you ready? Let me begin this way. I read recently about a salesman who has set his mind as he came over a pass at a small city to go in and sell his wares. And as he got into the city, he saw a nice yellow and white house. And he says, that's the house I'll begin to begin to knock on doors and sell my wares. And he went to the house and knocked on the door. And an old lady opened the door. And before she could say anything, he put his foot in the door and forced his way into the room. And lo and behold, he reached into his his satchel and pulled out a bag of some of the worst dirt and grime from outside you can ever imagine. And he opened the bag and he flung it all over the woman's living room. Then he reached in his bag again and took out some kitchen mess, peels and, and oil and stuff. And he flung that on the woman's carpet. Then he flung around with his machine and he plugged it into the wall and he said to the old lady, he said, ma'am, if my machine doesn't get any of this mess up, I'll get on my hands and knees and I will eat it if the machine doesn't get it up. And the woman said, well, son, I hope you have a good appetite because they turned off my electricity yesterday. That's what she said. (laughs) Sometimes, hear me now. We can be moving so fast through life that we fail to slow down and look at some of the real basic essentials, not just of living, but of eternal salvation. And every January, the Seventh-day Adventist Church around the world slows down to take time to remember the God-given gift of religious freedom. This Sabbath here at Templeton Hills, we are putting our attention on that which many of us fail to really understand is a religious gift, that of religious freedom. On Religious Liberty Sabbath, we take time as a world church to pray for the many millions of men and women and children who continue to suffer harassment, discrimination, And even imprisonment or physical harm because they choose faithfulness to God no matter what. And some of you may be sitting here this thinking this morning with pastor, is there really religious persecution happening in the world today like that? Listen to this. In 1998, a law was created, created what is called the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. And it produces an annual report on violators and religious liberators, uh, uh, liberty, religious liberator violators. And this report usually comes out every January of each year. And nations considered severe violators and classified, uh, they are classified as countries of particular concern. And they even on an international sense are looking at facing sanctions for for violation of people's religious liberty. And in 1998, one of the first major violators that were noted was the country of China. 
a major American trading partner. And that single act of, of acknowledging China as a violator of people's religious liberty, that single act was really let us know that this U.S. commission was really going to do its job, said Robert Sipo, the first at-large ambassador for religious liberty serving from 1998 to 2000. China remains on the newest list as of January 2018. And I pray over this because I know a young person that's over in China now serving, uh, teaching English and, 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 and preaching in the churches there. And I, I sometimes have to warn him about his zealousness because China has been changing over the last few decades. According to the Daily Signal, from Beijing to Tibet, the Chinese Communist Party is engaging over the last decades in very violent crackdowns on religions in China. Using tactics reminiscent of the Cultural Revolution back in the early 1970s. The recent intensification includes the burning of Bibles and force closure of major churches, as well as mass detentions of Muslims and coercive quartering of party officials in their homes. And as part of the broad attack on Christians, this past September in 2018, in Henan province, the Chinese Community Communist Party officials broke into a church in Laos, forcibly stopping the service. And violently, they reprimand parishioners. The police escorted the church pastor away because he refused to sign his violation notice. This is China. Who else is on the list? Russia is on the list. An LA Times article, August 2018, reports that in Russia, you may have heard about it, Russia enacted a ban beginning in 2017 on the denomination called the Jehovah's Witnesses. And many Jehovah's Witnesses facing persecution in Russia have fled trying to find refuge and they found refuge in Finland. And right now, to be a Jehovah's Witness is a crime in Russia. You are considered a terrorist if you're a Jehovah's Witness in Russia. In the last 16 months since Russia's Supreme Court banned Jehovah's Witnesses as an extremist group group on par with Is Islamic State, raids and arrests of the religions uh, of Jehovah's Witness has been estimated in Russia to be 175,000 people have been arrested. The ruling criminalization uh, that they're saying that those that, that, that practice Jehovah's Witnesses has resulted in 395 churches in Russia being closed down. Members face prosecution for doing missionary work, which is a fundamental part of being a Jehovah's Witness. There are now an estimated 250 Russian Jehovah's Witnesses seeking asylum trying to get into Finland leaving persecution, religious persecution in Russia. 
They wait out their asylum applications in several refuge centers across the country, including a refuge center on the southeastern part of Finland. In Russia, more than 20 Jehovah's Witnesses, many of them elderly, are currently in detention centers. At least 40 court cases are pending against Jehovah's Witnesses. They're charging them with organizing or participating in an extremist organization. This is going on right now in Russia. Russia has seized church properties, including the headquarters of the Jehovah's Witness Church. Can you imagine the headquarters of the Seventh Adventist Church being seized? Where members turn fleeing had to go into dilapidated buildings at a former Soviet camp to use it as a campus. Then, who else is on the list of religious liberty violations this very time that we're talking? Pakistan is on the list. And in Pakistan, if you do anything that the ruling uh, 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 forces don't like, they say that you have committed blasphemy and they bring charges upon you. And a woman, Azi Bibi, who was just released uh, in November 8th, 2018, she had been in prison for a decade in solitary confinement charged with blasphemy. That's going on today. Who else is on the list? I just want to establish the fact that religious liberty is needed. We've got to be aware of the fact that there is persecution around. North Korea should be no surprise is on the list. Open Doors Christian uh, Association, who reports on religious persecution around the world, states that North Korea has been number one on the Christian persecution list of 50 countries for the last 16 years. And when you ask, well, Pastor, how are Christians suffering in North Korea? And it's difficult because in North Korea, it's difficult for anybody to get information out of North Korea. But they estimate that Christians are suffering in labor camps as political criminals in North Korea. And hear me now, if you are noted in North Korea as being a, against the state, not only you suffer, but your family suffers. And Christians do not even have the slightest space in society in North Korea. Who else is on the list? Who else is on the list? Nigeria is on the list as a prominent violator of religious uh, liberty. In Nigeria, in 2018, 6,000 Christians have been murdered. It's been stated to be, for sure, a full-out genocide on Christians in Nigeria. Pure genocide. And then finally, I want to bring your attention to Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia, the state creates and maintains a strict Islamic system that treats Christians as second-class citizens. Islam is the only recognized religion in Saudi Arabia, irregardless of what their legislation states. 
They suggest that they are free and open and you can practice, but you really can't in Saudi Arabia. The only recognized religion is the Muslim gathering. And consequently, if Christians have the nerve to gather, they gather with their life online. Oh, you think Jamal Gashaki was an aberration? You do remember the journalists, the U.S. journalists, who spoke out against the proud prince of Saudi Arabia and was cold, bloodily murdered. They suggest that is going on to Christians in Saudi Arabia. Let me change pace. Dr. Diop, who is the Director of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty at the General Conference of the Seventh-day Church, he's also Secretary General for the International Religious Liberty Association, gives us some very interesting insights in terms of religious liberty in its purest form. Stay with me, church. We're going to go someplace uh, with this, what we're building here. He states, listen to the comments that just came out recently in preparation for religious liberty in January of 2019. He states, religious freedom or freedom of religion is recognized as a universal human right by the international community. It is inscribed as Article 18 in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was ratified on December 10th, 1948. Religious liberty, the right to believe according to the dictates of one's conscience, is also inscribed in several international documents, declarations, covenants, and conventions, and charters of international and regional organizations such as the Organization of American States, the African Commission on Human Rights and People's Rights, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, and several other organizations, and explicitly in more than 150 national constitutions, the ability to worship God according to one's dictates is a universal desire. At the national constitutional level, religious freedom is mentioned as part of a cluster of freedom and rights with which it entertains a synergetic relationship. They are in fact inseparable. Dr. Diop continues, these rights complete each other to such a degree that they should not be opposed are set in antagonistic relationships with each other. Freedom of religion or belief cannot be confined, cannot be confined to a conflict of rights. It transcends such categories. categories. Listen to what he's saying. It only undergirds all fundamental freedoms, but it also is pivotal to the very vital viability and legitimacy of societal fabric itself. In fact, civil rights are grounded in the importance, listen to where he takes us now regarding religious liberty, civil rights are grounded in the importance of human conscience. An inner sanctum of decisions, choices, and convictions and beliefs. From a faith-based perspective, the roots of religious freedom are in God. Conversations, debates, provisions, and legislations 
our freedom bills are found in Greco-Roman philosophies, the European Enlightenment, the British philosophers, the French Revolution, or the American experiment. They all have as their religious, religious roots, they're founded in God himself. You see, freedom is an attribute of God. In God, it is inseparable from God's moral or ethical attributes, meaning that the very summation of who God is is found in his ability of freedom to every created being. Embracing religious freedom is a way of being conscious and in participating in the mystery of God. And how God relates to the people he created in his image. God's benevolence towards people becomes the model for how we relate to every person. Hear me now. You may not realize it, but outside the United States, religious liberty, the unmitigated privilege to worship God according to one's conscience is increasingly the major tenet of life. In fact, there are advocates that are saying that in some of the most oppressed countries, the minute that religious liberty is a viable alternative, all the other liberties are released. And I want to suggest to you that worship and obedience to God has always been the major tenet of life. With serious consequences and implications, when religious oppression takes place um, and one is made, uh, uh, conscious is made to be subjugated to an outside force, we are literally fighting against God. Because God made us free. God made us free. Has always been. Religious freedom has been a fundamental part of God's kingdom. It always has been. From the beginning, you might be familiar with the fact that Revelation 12 talks about the fact and there was war in heaven. And there, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there a place found in any more in heaven for the dragon. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, the Bible says, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He and his angels were cast out of heaven. And they were cast out of heaven not because they didn't want to wear the right robes that God wanted to put on. They were cast out of heaven over worship. Oh, you say, Pastor, I thought it was over whether or not God's commandments were true. You cannot separate obedience and worship. You can't separate them. They're wound up. I worship God and obey him out of my relationship with him. And when they were cast down, the devil was cast down to earth. You see in the new world, we don't get but four chapters into Genesis. And we find that there is a conflict between Cain and his brother Abel, not over who was the tallest or who was the firstborn. The Bible record in Genesis 4 says that Cain was upset with Abel because Cain's offering, his worship to God wasn't accepted and Abel's wasn't. And he murdered his brother over that. And then we get to our text today, Daniel 3. And I would submit to you that our passage this morning brings out 
two very important aspects that I believe all that we went through now, I'm going to try and meld together. And I hope you leave this place never the same. The first thing I believe Daniel 3, 1 through 7 brings to forbearance regarding religious liberty is this. That obedience and worship are closely akin to one another. Yea, inseparable. And someone said, why? Because freedom of religion has to do with freedom of conscience. Somebody said, well, why conscience, pastor? Because we're not talking, hear me now. Here, this is where we want to get to this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us we're not talking about obedience because it's the right thing to do. We're talking about obedience which is born out of one's love for God. So my second major point coming out of Daniel 3 verses 1 through 7, this familiar passage about three Christians who stood up under a universal law to worship another God. The second thing I would have you understand is that when Nebuchadnezzar came up against these three, he came up to something more than the power of will. He came up against the power of love. Which can't be forced or intimidated into subjection. So no wonder. In Revelation 2 and 3, he talks to the church of Ephesus. He says, I'm upset with you. They're doing all the right things in church. They're feeding the poor. They're bringing in, they're, they're doing all this. But he says, I've got one thing against you. You've lost, you've left your first love. Because a real relationship with God is based on love. I am not obedient to God because it's the right thing to do. I am obedient to God because I love him. So you can't, you can't religiously oppress someone who's convicted through their conscience and their love commitment to God to do something else. Let me help you see this in another way. I read recently about a husband who wanted things to change in his home. He didn't feel it was going the right way, so he started listening to some self-assertive uh, CDs to work and coming back from work, telling him he needed to be more self-assertive. When he thought he was ready, John, he got out of his car that evening, unlocked that door, went into that house, told his wife, you, you, I want you to get in that kitchen, fix me my favorite meal, and, and, and I want dessert. That's why I want you to fix that. And once you finish that dinner, I want you to go in the bedroom and run my bath water. And after I get cleaned up and, and washed up, I want you to, uh, I want you to come in there and scrub my back. And then when I towel off, guess he said, who's going to put on my pajamas? You know what his wife said? She said, the funeral home is going to put your pajamas on. That's what she said. <laughs> you can't force love. My wife was with me for 36 years, not because she has to. Out of love. Love can't be forced. It's a matter of conscience. Religious worship, me in contact with my God, my love to God, you cannot force that out of me. In fact, in our passage, the three Hebrew boys 
were ready to die for their relationship with God. And hear me now, you're not going to die for something that you don't love. So why do we take time to acknowledge others around the world every January that are facing religious persecution? It is because in, re- in reality, religious liberty Sabbath every January for Seventh-day Adventists because of our theological basis and eschatology, especially Revelation 13. Where it says that the beast made a a, a relationship with a lamb-like beast. And the lamb-like beast forced the entire world to worship the image of the beast. We recognize, according to Bible prophecy, that pretty soon we too will be uh, under subjugation because of what we believe. My question to you this morning, as I'm drawing to a close on this message, is are you ready? Are you personally ready? Are you abiding in church because it's the right thing to do? Oh, that's, no, you're not going to die for the right thing to do. You're going to die because you're in love. I may not be dying for someone I don't know, but you try to mess with one of my children, my wife, mother, I'll give my, why? Because it's based upon love. Are you still in love with Jesus? Is worship a burden? Is it dry? Has your relationship with the Lord gotten stale? You remember when you first came to him? Couldn't get enough of the word. In Bible all day, praying to him, talking to him. Hey, a relationship based on love has to be nurtured. Our prophet Ellen White says, love awakens love. God doesn't want you to be a seven of Venice because the seven of Venice knows the most about the Bible, can interpret the best prophecies. God wants you to be a seven of Venice because he wants a love relationship with you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He doesn't want you just with him because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't like that. He wants you to be in love with him. So pastor, what I need to do to fall back in love with Jesus. I remember when I was dating my wife 36 years ago. First got together, man, we, we were talking all night on the phone. Took dates together. Special time. Get back to guarding your worship time. Do you know? You, do you have a worship time? Mine. I'm a morning person. Usually four o'clock, three thirty. If I go to bed on time, my angel wakes me up. Sometime I talk to the Lord, and sometime I let Him talk to me. Sometime I ask Him, Lord, you know, I'm tired. You know, I started last year, John, not going to the gym, and I had to tell Him, Lord, I don't feel like getting up, going to the gym this morning. God says, get yourself up and go to the gym. We have these kind of comments. My God talks to me like that. I don't know about your God. He's real. A real relationship. Then about one o'clock, no matter if I'm in a meeting or not driving, I turn my mind to my God because nothing will be able to separate me from my God. I love him. He's done so much for me. Then in the evening, usually about 9.30, 9 o'clock, 
I make sure I connect with them again. Because there's nothing more important in me maintaining. You can't stay in love with God without there being time. Unless you have a prayer and devotion life, you really are trying to work your way into heaven and you can't do it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, he says, by beholding, we become changed. Meaning, we're spending time in prayer and Bible study. We think that we're doing something, but by that intentional time, the Holy Spirit is transforming us. We give him permission. And Ellen White says, the transformation of the Holy Spirit, she says, it is a work of a lifetime of getting to know Jesus. So religious liberty in reality is to help us remember that very soon we need to be ready because we're going to be tested and called upon whether we have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. 9-11-2001. Unfortunately, it is remembered due to the unprecedented loss of precious lives. But you know what else it is also a reminder of? Just like Pearl Harbor, it's a reminder that the United States of America was not ready. Was not ready. I don't know if you read about Lieutenant Commander Penny, is her name, Heather Penny, with the Air Force. She was sitting in Andrews Air Force Base getting debriefed when someone came in and opened the door and said, Someone just flew a plane into one of the Twin Towers. And they sat there and they said, well, maybe it was just some stray person that last lost navigation. But then a few minutes later, someone came in and said they flew another plane into the Pentagon and they knew that America was under attack. Her commanding officer said, Heather Penny, Lieutenant Heather Penny. And she locked eyes. He says, you're with me. And they began to go out to get ready to get into the Air Force jet fighters. But here is the irony of the story is that as they ran out to get into the jet fighters, they didn't have time to put any bombs onto their fighters because they didn't have time to do that. They weren't ready. So she tells the story herself. You can Google it and read her and hear her interview. As they flew in their planes looking for Flight 93 because they said another plane was in the air and they figured it was looking for another target in the United States. She recognized the United States wasn't ready, but thank God Heather Penny and her commander were ready. She knew what they had to do. Once they located Flight 93 with no bombs and no rockets, they were on a kamikaze course. She got herself together in her mind. She knew what she had to do. If they found that plane, they had to fly their plane into that and destroy it before it destroyed any other human lives. Then they got the report that the persons on board Flight 93 overtook those on board and it crashed into the ground. When I first started working at the conference office two and a half years ago, I was shocked one morning by a booming sound coming from the Fresno International Airport and I looked up and lo and behold two fighter jets were taking off from Fresno Airport. Since 9-11 
24 hours a day on both coasts, there are fighters that are always in the air. Even at night, you can see them take off the rockets booming. The United States now doesn't try to get ready. It stays ready. What about you? If, and it's going to happen, I am a seven minutes all the way true and through, and I believe in Bible prophecy. Daniel 12, 1 says, there's coming a time of trouble. Since there was a nation upon the face of the earth, persecution, one day we're going to come to church and may not find the church doors open. Are you ready? Are you ready? And I know the controversy going on in some of our churches, even with our Sabbath school lesson regarding revelation and interpretation. I happen to be one that stands with the Seven Adventist Church in terms of our prophetic and historical interpretations. Jesus Christ is coming soon. There's unfulfilled Bible prophecy, especially Revelation 13, that is happening. If you look around the world, something is happening. This earth is coming to an end. So is that my appeal this morning as we close? Is for a personal review. As I close in prayer, I'm wondering you might want to stand with me to reconsecrate yourself to your devotion life. To be sure with it. Let nothing disturb it because that's how we're transformed. And we're ready for these last days. I'm standing first. Anybody want to stand with me before I pray? Anybody want to stand with me? Praise God. Praise God. Who believes the word of God today? Just raise your hand. Who believes the word of God? Uh, Who wants to surrender to God? Raise your other hand. Raise your other hand. Now just look up to the Lord and say, I surrender. Say, I surrender, Lord. I surrender. Father, as we pause now, we have heard your clearing call on this religious liberty. Unlike any other celebrations, Lord, this one is personal. Because as we look around this world, Lord, we recognize that something is happening. The resources of this earth are running out. Religious persecution, indeed, is happening all around. And we, some of us, Lord, recognize that we're not as close to you as we used to be. So as we stand this morning, we surrender our lives all over again. Help us to recognize that worship in its truest sense is a verb. It's not what we say, it's what we do. And we need to spend time with you each day in prayer and Bible study. Would you just help us do that, Lord? Some are standing, Lord, recognizing that you even have to do something about our wills. Lord, we're struggling and we need you to come in. Would you do that, Lord? Would you do that? And Father, in a special way, bless everyone that has stand and has given their hearts and dedication. There may be someone here who's also standing. Because you're feeling the Holy Spirit pull at your heart. You're not a baptized member of this church, but you recognize in 2019 things need to be different. And I've come to tell you the doors of this church are open. The opportunity to connect yourself with the God who loved you enough that he came and died for you. He is standing right here and he wants to join his life with yours. Through a study of the word of God and then baptized into the church, you will fulfill what is written in Mark, the first chapter, where when Jesus, as an example, was baptized, the Holy Spirit in his fullness fell upon him. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you here? Anybody here? Want Bible studies to be baptized for the first time in life? Just raise your hand. Are you here? 
Are you? God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see the other hand in the back. I'm going to invite you as you raise your hand. The head elder here, Ron, make sure you make connection with him this day so that we can get you going in terms of leading you to this great day of baptism. No matter what's happening in the world, that's what this time is for. This delay time is for you and others to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I ask that you would seal these commitments this morning. May our most zealous years for you begin now. From the very moment, Lord, that we have stood, would you do something special for every person at the sound of my voice? Uh, outpouring the Holy Spirit, a change in them that they have never experienced before. Let that be the outcome, Lord, as they make a difference in this community. Now, Lord, may you bless this church like never before. May its greater days, the greatest days it recognized, be ahead of us. And Lord, I lift up as I close this prayer, the leader and the pastoral team of this church, Zach and Leah. And also their beautiful daughters, Lord. Just bless the leadership, the elders, the deacons, the deaconess, all of the members as they do mission work in this community. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory. Let all of God's children say amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated.